Welcome to the Women's Wellness Psychiatry Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Anna Glazer, MD, a reproductive and integrative psychiatrist here to help you make sense of the complex world of women's mental health. If your goal is to improve your emotional well-being, find fulfillment, and feel like your best self, you're in the right place. Welcome, my listener friends, to 2022. For many of us, the new year can be a time of reflection or a resolution. And that's what I want to do in this episode with you. I want to start off first by reflecting on 2021 and focusing particularly on COVID and its impact on women's mental health. And then I want to help you with your 2022 New Year's resolutions to give you some tips on how to set the most effective kinds of goals. The new year can often be a blank slate of sorts. And I think that these topics are going to be particularly relevant for this episode. I want to start with the reflection portion. And I want to reflect on the impact that COVID has had on women's mental health, because that's been such an important part of 2021. So the impact of COVID on women's mental health has been dramatic. One of the key points I want to start off with is thinking about this concept of social isolation, the fact that COVID has led many of us to be further isolated from friends and family and coworkers and many other places where we seek and get connection. And humans are social creatures. We, we do need that social connection. Even those of us who identify as introverts do need some social connection, given that we're human. In fact, in terms of the concept of introverts and extroverts, the way that I think about it is less in terms of whether or not a person likes to be in a group or likes to be by themselves, but more in terms of what is the place that a person gets more energy, gets more rejuvenation from. So for an introvert, it's often being by themselves, maybe reading or relaxing on their own, and that's how they rejuvenate, whereas for an extrovert, it's the opposite. But in any case, both of those types of people do need some of that social connection. But this idea of introverts and extroverts is really beyond the scope of this podcast. We can certainly talk about it on another episode. And if there are certain topics that really appeal to you and interest you, feel free to make a comment or shoot me a note about that. I'm happy to get that kind of feedback from all of you valuable listeners. But let's come back to this topic of social isolation and some of the other impacts of COVID on women's mental health. One of the things to really be aware of is the higher burden on parents during COVID for a number of reasons. One, there's been a lot of at-home schooling. There's also been less availability of childcare providers. And that's been my experience with so many of my patients as well as my colleagues. And that burden is usually shouldered by mom. Mom is often the one who takes more time out of her day to ensure that the kids are getting the kind of care and schooling that they might need to continue at home and to potentially take time off of work in order to take care of kids. And so there's been definitely a higher burden on parents to try to make that happen. I have one patient, for example, who's really been struggling so much during this pandemic because of that specific issue where she has kids who, one of whom has some special needs. And that makes it really hard not to have the child care in the school to be able to help with that kind of burden. Another issue in terms of impact of COVID on women's mental health has been higher levels of health-related anxiety. So that's a lot of worries about 
you know, am I going to potentially get sick? What is the impact of me getting sick on my family? And then also, are my kids going to be sick? Are my loved ones going to be sick? And what is that? What is the implication of that? How do I make sure that I keep myself and my family healthy and safe? And that can lead to actually a lot of what I call decision fatigue. That's been huge in 2021. This this idea of decision fatigue where there's so many more decisions that have to be made that we never really even thought about before. Small decisions. For example, you might remember at the start of the pandemic thinking about, do I go to the grocery store? Do I not go to the grocery store? In the past, we used to just, if we needed food, we went to the grocery store. And now we have to think about, well, when is the right time of day? When might I be safest? What kind of mask should I wear? Which grocery store should I go to? There's a lot more decisions for something that used to be something we never even really thought about before. Thinking about which playground am I going to go to? Is it safe to go to the gym to work out, to take care of myself? So there's a lot more decisions and that leads to what I call decision fatigue which is really exhausting and something that a lot of women have been burdened with in in 2020 and 2021. The other thing specifically related to women's mental health and uh, perinatal mental health is the fact that there's been less access to doctor's offices. So that definitely impacts fertility treatment. I've had a number of patients who've had to have their fertility treatments pushed, pushed back because a particular embryology clinic or fertility clinic was closed because of COVID. And that can actually be a really high burden on those who feel a particular time sensitivity for that kind of treatment. Less access to doctor's offices can also be challenging during pregnancy. I've had a few patients who actually reported to me that they were concerned about a number of their OB appointments being virtual visits and therefore not having the opportunity to go into the office and get the reassurance of a Doppler ultrasound, which can be really assuring, reassuring, particularly in those early weeks of pregnancy, especially for those who have a little bit more of a tendency towards anxiety and, and they find that that reassurance is really valuable in early pregnancy, not having that opportunity. And then for those outside of the peripartum place, having less access to contraception because clinics are closed. And for those who are thinking about delivery and postpartum, the fact that deliveries are not happening as planned. There were a lot more restrictions on who could be present at a delivery. There were a lot of restrictions on the number of people that could be present. If you had your heart set on a particular type of delivery plan, and maybe that includes a partner, maybe that includes a doula, maybe includes some other support systems, not having access to that can be really, really challenging. And so I've had a lot of women for whom they delivered in 2021, and it was not the type of experience that they were expecting or that they had hoped for. So that's a huge challenge. And then postpartum, less help as well. So that's for a number of reasons. Number one, the travel restrictions made it really hard for family members to be able to make it to help out postpartum. Number two, a lot of anxiety, again, about health and exposure makes it more challenging to bring someone into the home, to bring someone like a postpartum doula or nanny or other kind of childcare into the home when you're concerned about potential exposure. 
So that means less help during delivery and less help postpartum, which in turn can negatively impact women's mental health during that time. Then there's also the unemployment rates, which increased. And one of the things to note is oftentimes mothers are the ones who are let go because they might have more part-time schedules. And the data basically shows that women accounted for more than half of the job losses back in 2020. And the data also actually shows that Black women were nearly twice, two times more likely to report job losses compared to white men. So that's really significant because that leads to additional financial stress and it turns into a spiral of anxiety and stress. Another impact on women's mental health during 2021 and during COVID times is unfortunately the fact that interpersonal violence rates did increase. And that is for a number of reasons. Certainly there's the financial stress, there's the burden of being quarantining and self-quarantining in the home and having the constant presence of a partner and the additional stress related to finances and health and anxiety. And all of that led to an increase in interpersonal violence and domestic violence. And then finally, there's the caregiver burden. Many of us are familiar with the fact that women are the ones who tend to be the caregivers in both immediate and extended families. And for those of us who have been hit by family members being sick with COVID, that means that women are the ones who are often put to the task of taking care of loved ones who are ill, whether that's children or the elderly or anyone in between. And that creates an additional form of stress in the form of caregiver burden. So, you know, we're talking about an impact of COVID on women's mental health that relates to social isolation, that relates to a high burden on parents, that relates to health anxiety and decision fatigue, that relates to less access to medical care across the span from preconception to fertility treatment to pregnancy to postpartum to contraceptives, and then also related to employment, finances, domestic violence, and caregiver burdens. There was actually an interesting poll, and this was done at the very start of the pandemic. So we don't have more recent data, but I thought this was so interesting. This was a Kaiser poll that was done at the start of the pandemic that showed a a widening gender gap in negative mental health impact from coronavirus. They actually did this survey taking a look at men and women and taking a look at the first couple of weeks of the pandemic and then comparing it to a, a couple of weeks later. And the gap increased from time point one to time point two in terms of those who were experiencing stress the the gap widened. Many more women compared to men reported negative mental health impact from COVID. And that was really just at the start of the pandemic. So I can only imagine, and you can only imagine, how that gap perhaps continued to widen over the course of 2020 and now 2021. I've actually definitely seen this in my clinical practice with many more patients reaching out for care and treatment in the last year. I've actually because of this, been working hard over the last one and a half years to really expand my clinic to be able to fulfill this need. And one refrain that I hear from so many of my patients once they do find me is that in their search, 
many clinicians that they've tried to contact in the past basically say that they're full, that they're maxed out in terms of the number of patients that they can see. So we have this combination of increased mental health symptoms, increases in anxiety and stress because of COVID. And fortunately, there's more people seeking out treatment and care for that. But at the same time, we have insufficient number of clinicians to be able to meet that need. Now, the point of all of this reflection really is not to be a Debbie Downer, but to really help you realize that if you are struggling, you're not alone. And I think there's solutions that we need to implement both on an individual, but also a societal level to be able to address these mental health challenges that are continuing to emerge. And on a societal level, I think that includes making changes in the workplace and childcare and a lot of the expectations as a society that we have for women. And then on an individual level, that really means reaching out for help if you're struggling. And the reason I mention that now is because the new year can be a good time to resolve to reach out for help. So here's the thing about resolutions, though. Many don't work. And I want to kind of review with you a little bit of the psychology behind that so that if your resolution is to improve your emotional well-being, you can be more successful. The data is interesting. Basically, it says that most people make resolutions, but about 80% of people don't stick with them after about six weeks. And there's some interesting psychology behind that. There was an article a few years back in the Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin in 2016 that noted that immediate rewards were the ones that predicted adherence to long-term goals. So for example, if you are making a particular resolution, if you get immediate reward from that, you're much more likely to stick with it than if you don't get those that kind of immediate gratification. And that in that particular study, they looked at New Year's resolutions as well as goals related to things like studying and exercising. And there's a few different concepts that they found that I think could be helpful for us to think about as we're setting resolutions and goals. The first is to think about the language that you're using. And the word should is a common one that comes up, but it's a word I really dislike. I think we have a tendency oftentimes in society to should ourselves to death. And so there's really a big difference, right? If you start with the goal of I should exercise more in the in the new year. That does not sound very fun or appealing. If you change just that one word from should to will, that is something that definitely changes the tone of that sentence. And then if you change it again to get to, so I get to exercise more in the new year, that's something that changes the tone even further to something that you might actually want to do. So I think that the language that we use when we're setting goals and resolutions is really important. And then the underlying reward is really important as well. So for example, this is what the the article was talking about in terms of immediate reward versus long-term reward. If you if you are trying to engage in more physical activity and exercise in the new year, and by the way, physical activity is something that I strongly support because of its impact on mood. 
And you can go back to one of my earlier podcasts on physical activity and mood to learn more about that. That's why I'm using this as an example. But if you're setting the resolution from the place of social engagement, that's something that you can get immediate gratification from, immediate rewards. If you're setting a goal that you're going to be able to exercise with a friend, you're going to get that immediate reward because you're going to be able to see them and do the activity versus something that's more of a long-term goal like improving cholesterol. And I absolutely support you if that is one of your goals. At the same time, I think it's important to recognize that it's going to be a harder goal to reach if that is the primary driver because it doesn't have immediate rewards. You know, you're going to have to spend months doing this particular activity and then get your labs done and then get in a lab result that may or may not show that your cholesterol improved. So there isn't an immediate reward. And it really is that immediate reward that predicts adherence to long-term goals. So I would really think about considering something that is fun and enjoyable, for example, like a dance class or hiking, versus you know tearing out the latest workout plan from a fitness mag- magazine. There's also this idea of setting the right type of goal. And there's these concepts of superordinate and subordinate goals. Those are two fancy psychological terms that basically describe the difference between setting a big goal like getting healthy and a really specific sub-goal like jogging two times a week. And this comes from an interesting article that came out in 2020 last year in the Journal of Applied Psychology, where it really found that it's a combination of those two that gets the best long-term results, where it's important to have the, the big overarching goal because of the value system that you might have under it. But it's also really important to have the smaller, intermediate, incremental goals. So here's an example. Let's say that your resolution is to feel better emotionally. That's what we're talking about in this podcast episode. When we talked about you know reflecting on 2021, the punchline is that it's, it's been really stressful and a lot of us are struggling emotionally. So the resolution is to feel better emotionally. So the first thing that I would recommend doing is change that word. Change the word from resolution to goal. Firstly, because I think resolutions do carry some negative connotation because we tend to make so many of them and we often don't keep them. So I would first change that to a goal rather than a resolution. Then I would think about the underlying values that prompt you to set this goal. Think about the why of why you want to get better emotionally. And then break the goal down into steps that you plan to take. So for example, that might be a combination of building healthy self-care habits, as well as actions related to reaching out for help. It could be things like five minutes of journaling, five days a week, along with deciding to connect with a therapist. Even that goal, connecting with a therapist, is one that I would recommend breaking down. So breaking up into smaller steps. For example, call one therapist per day until you find someone that you connect with. And to set yourself up with success for the journaling, I would recommend, for example, putting it on the calendar and preparing the pen and paper. So the idea here is to set a goal, to think about 
the overarching goal and the value system, the reasons why you're setting that particular goal, to have really small, concrete sub-goals that break it down into individual steps, and to recognize that you're much more likely to stick with those if there's an immediate reward that's going to predict you're sticking with it over the long term. So in reflecting on the fact that during this 2021 period, it's been hard and stressful, and we do need to think about improving our emotional well-being, I would really encourage you to set some specific goals for how to do that for yourself and use the psychology behind what we know on how to achieve long-term goals consistently to help you do so. Happy New Year, and I look forward to the next episode. Thanks for joining me for this week's episode. As you know, my goal is to share with you the most helpful information that moves you towards emotional well-being. If you have suggestions or questions, I'd love to hear those. And I also always appreciate a rating that will help others find this valuable content. I'm looking forward to connecting with you again next week. Please note that while I am a clinical doctor, this podcast is not a substitute for nor should be taken as medical advice. No specific health advice is being given on this podcast and no physician-client relationship is created by you listening to this podcast. All information provided on this podcast is for informational purposes only.